Disclaimer. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of the New American Magazine. They're submitted for your entertainment and consideration. You should consult your doctor before considering expending too much strenuous energy on these controversial subjects. If you don't have medical authorization, consider this invitation as your permission slip for independent thought. This is Under the Iceberg, hosted by Daniel Natal, co-hosted by investigative researcher Jenny Silcox and publisher for the New American Magazine, Dennis Barrett. We're also pleased to have joining us the mysterious Sid. Today's conspiracy theory is the subject of transhumanism. Chapter 1. The Premise. Before the Industrial Revolution, in fact, before the creation of the nation-state in the 1600s, people were thought of as unique individuals raised in dignity by the possession of a soul. After the Industrial Revolution, by contrast, men, like factory products, were seen as something to be standardized, judged not by their inherent human dignity, but by their function. On the back of the book jacket of the 1950s book on philosophy by Gabriel Marcel, Man Against Mass Society, it says, Man Against Mass Society focuses on the mass man who has been dehumanized in a society which reduces the person to the function he performs, and which is an individual he has no distinctive worth and cannot claim to be unique and irreplaceable. This idea of the dehumanized man who is not seen as an individual, but who is rather judged by his function, is at the heart of people not seeing an individual, per se, a Bill Smith or a Jen Hovac, but rather seeing them as a doctor or a laborer or a plumber and so forth. This dehumanizing habit of thinking is central to the transhumanism movement, whose origins are even older than the Industrial Revolution. They trace back to the esoteric schools and hidden brotherhoods of the Dark Ages. According to the occult teachings of these secret societies, man had five steps in his development. Mineral man, vegetable man, animal man, human man, and divine man. Starting with mineral man, think of Adam drawn up from the dirt by God. Traces of this early mineral origin persist in the existence of iron, zinc, magnesium, and other elements in our body. According to Mark Booth in his book, The Secret History of the World, the alchemists believe that we evolve from here to a higher vegetable state. Think of our nervous system and how similar it is to the branches of a plant. From there, we ascended yet higher to an animal level with warm blood and emotions. We also gained mobility. After that, we became the modern humans that you see today when we acquired consciousness and rationality. In the worldview of the alchemists, man's evolution includes getting less dense, more diffuse, passing from a rock-like stage of coarse matter to our ultimate culmination as the final phase of divine man in a more subtle state. Running counter to this succession of events, we have the materialists in the transhumanist movement who would prefer to bring us back down to the mineral level by implanting metal inside of us to turn us into cyborgs. From the viewpoint of the alchemists, they're trying to reverse human evolution and keep us in a low-level, materialistic state. Austrian mystic Rudolf Steiner called the modern age the age of Ahriman, the Indo-European version of Satan. Ahriman, unlike God, wants to keep us locked here in the physical plane and cut us off from God. So he promotes materialism and tries to sever man from the source and block all access to man's higher dimension. Steiner was setting up this warning while at that very moment in the 1930s in Russia, the transhumanist movement was taking shape. Started by two men named Fedorov and Cholskolsky, these men wanted to merge man and machine. With visions of cyborgs in their brains, Cholskolsky even openly called for the extermination of the human race to be replaced by the superior genetically modified transhumans. While most ordinary people went about their lives, working, raising families, playing with their children, the transhumanist movement festered and grew. Today, government, industry, and academia are filled with exponents of this materialist philosophy, like Ray Kurzweil at Google, who has become their resident visionary. Are the transhumanists puppets of dark aramonic forces bent on undoing man's progress from coarse matter to a more subtle state as he ascends upward towards God? Is their purpose to reduce us back down to mineral man and infuse our blood with metal like graphene oxide to hook us up through 5G to the Internet of Things and keep us locked in the physical plane forever? With the groundwork being laid, I'm going to open proceedings to turn the floor over to you, Dennis. Do you want to start? Sure. The answer is yes and. <laughs> uh, first of all, not a conspiracy theory. It is very, very real. Many billions of dollars are being spent on research on all of the technologies that uh, you would be, you know, if we want to be, say, loosely aligned with the transhumanist movement. Um, 
then again, in terms of motivation, you talked about whether we bring us down to the mineral level or what, what is the motivation behind transhumanism? Uh, I think we get a really good lifting of that veil if we compare it to the eugenics movement from the late 19th and early 20th century, which continues today in the form of uh, what some critics have called newgenics. And that is, as opposed to a spiritualist or Christian approach uh, to uh, a relationship between uh, what is humankind, the world of sp- the spirit, uh, the, the world of salvation, uh, what the transhumanist wants to do, what the eugenicist wanted to do was, as opposed to having that happen at the spiritual level uh, and, and, you know, in the relationship with God and, and the Christian salvation and whatnot, by comparison, the transhumanist wants to, like the eugenicist, achieve that on earth by man's own hands. And of course, the priestly class or the philosopher king class, uh, they look back to Plato for this, and they think that they are the priestly class, the, the, the philosopher king class, that can bring this to fruition for the anointed few, and uh, the rest of the non-essentials uh, can be dispensed with, which dovetails very nicely with their generally held belief in Malthusianism, uh, the Malthusian interpretation of economics, the Malthusian interpretation of uh, the Earth's ability to support the population. These things all run very closely together. Usually the same people have the same beliefs in all of these areas. And again, not a conspiracy theory, billions of dollars are being funneled by government agencies in particular into these areas of research. And uh, DARPA in particular, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, um, they're quite quite closely wrapped up into funding these things because of the military applications. But it doesn't end with the military. Uh, you see the transhumanist goals being uh, realized and being worked toward openly uh, by outfits like Facebook, which has rebranded itself lately uh, as Meta, because it's trying to build what it calls the metaverse. And the metaverse is just a part and parcel with the transhumanist future that's being built. Yeah, I, I started out the uh, the introduction with uh, the idea of people being alienated from the real environment, alienated even from their bodies. And uh, I, I was uh, just thinking about that, you know, man versus mass society, Gabriel Marcel, um, and talking about the idea of the dehumanization that started to, you know, kind of spring up, especially after the Industrial Revolution. Before the Industrial Revolution, you know, everything was the church. And, you know, the, the common conception of reality was that we had souls, was that we were divine beings. And that was really, you know, at the center, that was the the presumption everybody had. And then after the Industrial Revolution, with all the surpluses, materialism started to assert itself. And we shifted from the age of spirituality to the age of reason. And we got very intellectual, we got very, you know, prosperous. Uh, but that kind of, you know, tilted us toward materialism. They talked about that in colonial America. Uh, they worried about that. The Puritans uh, noticed that. I was just uh, reading about this with my, my son. We're reading Charles Beard's uh, The History of the United States from the 1930s. And uh, historian Charles Beard talks about how the Puritans noticed that as the Americans started to get more prosperous, they started to get less spiritual and they started to, you know, kind of concentrate on that. And the, the apotheosis of this is, uh, or the culmination, I should say, um, is, is kind of like Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times, where he becomes a machine. He's, he's in the factory and he gets lost in the machine. And this is like a metaphor of, you know, people being dehumanized by the machine. And um, like, for instance, you know, before the Industrial Revolution, there were artisans and craftsmen. And, and they had a connection and a pride in, in things that they made. Uh, but with factory production, the workers like no longer felt that connection. And, you know, uh, and one of the things that, that jumped out at me, I was uh, narrating the audiobook for Jason Giorgiani's uh, Prometheism. And he was talking about how certain people, certain subsets of people even feel a certain shame that they're inferior to machines. They see themselves as inferior, like a product that they make with their own hands. They like apologize because it's not as perfect as a machine would make it. And he, he, he calls that Promethean shame. And, um, he talks about how people want to be products, uh, you know, rather than creatures that are, you know, merely the result of sloppy procreation. And so you see women who get these over the over the counter identities, you know, they get boob jobs or they get, you know, cosmetic surgery or, you know, in the extreme case, you see, you know, transgenderism. And so one of the things that the transhumanists are really pitching hard is to go into a cyber world where you can pick your identity or over the counter ide- identity, your avatar. And so this is really appealing to those people 
people who are alienated from their own bodies, not just from their environment, but from their own bodies. And, you know, they're looking forward, like Bruce Jenner is looking forward to entering that cyber world, to entering the metaverse and being able to select a more convincing female avatar. Um, you know, so I, I was wondering, Ginny, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Um, well, to begin with, I really think the emphasis on the soul early on was uh, simply a matter of um, using that as a leverage to control behavior by the church. Uh, it was something that could the church uh, salt, for instance, the church would sell indulgences so people could get away with sins by buying their way into heaven. And, and so it appears to me that we've kind of gone from using the soul as a controlling force over human behavior to promising a fantasy world that is induced uh, in our mental impressions by machines and by AI. And, and so to, to me, the bargaining is just the same and it's all about control. So I'm going to play a clip and then I'm going to have Sid jump in. Sometimes I dream of living forever, to never die, not unless I wanted to. Actually, I dream I could just know everything, to have super intelligence, super strength for that matter, and super speed. I wish I could just be happy all the time, eternal happiness of which sadness never comes. But then, sadly, I realize it's all impossible. But is it really? In this program, I'll be speaking to the people who think that it is possible. We will become cyborgs. Not now, of course, but in the future. And a future that might not be as far away as you think, according to them. Radical technological change is upon us. And I'll be finding out what they think the future has in store for us, human beings. Uh, the future that matters is the future of cognition, not really the future of the human race. So in that BBC documentary on transhumanism, the young presenter was uh, offering the scenario of having super intelligence and super strength. And he wasn't being quite honest with his audience because inside the metaverse, yeah, you're going to appear to have super intelligence and super strength and super speed and all these amazing things inside the video game. You can already do that in a video game. However, in the real environment, you're just going to be a slobbering meat puppet. You're just going to be standing there like someone in a coma, you know, so they're not, pro so, so they're making it seem as if in the real environment, you're going to have all these amazing capacities when in reality, it's going to be like the relational database where cert, like the manager has a certain access level to the, the database. The CEO has a, has a better access, the worker has a very bad access to the database. So they're, they're leading you to believe that once you're in the metaverse, you're going to have access to all these things. You're going to have the same access that Mark Zuckerberg has. And the answer is, no, you're not. You know, they're just going to be able to, to do whatever they want to your body, you know, up to and even, you know, possibly hacking your body and putting their consciousness in your body. They're, they're actually talking about this. The Internet of Bodies, they're calling it now. So, um, Sid, do you have any uh, take on that? I just wanted to point to the part where the guy was focusing on always being happy. I mean, what's the point of happiness? You can't feel the depth of sadness. The reason why you're here is to go through all these emotions, all these different trials in your life. You know, it's a fun experience. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I'd also like to focus on the trans, like transgender movement. That's all prepping people to be, to go into this. I mean, there's, um, I'm grateful you brought up the BBC because they also have something on their YouTube channel where it's like, I'm a transhuman, I'm going to become digital. And so it starts out with this family sitting down at their table. And she's like, Mom, Dad, I'm a transhuman. And before she can say human, like she wants to become a machine, they could obviously say, oh, we accept you. You know, they're trying to accept their daughter or whatever. They're reading but the script. Said, yeah. But here's the part, right? Whenever she says she wants to become transhuman, become a robot, they're like, what the hell is wrong with you? You want to die, you know? And so then she says, no, I want to live forever. But what she doesn't realize is it's not going to be her. It's going to be a freaking cheap imit imitation of her. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but these people think that they're going to become great gods in these machines and that they're going to be like explore this virtual universe and its mysteries that they programmed into it. Chapter two, speculation. Well, that, that's the, the thing that, you know, that troubles me is, you know, what the, the possibility that you're going to have a 90-year-old oligarch. 
and that 90-year-old oligarch could put his consciousness in your comatose body. And just like, you know, and they could use like technology because everything's digitized now. They can just like say, okay, who is this person? I can look up their their records. Oh, I see what they look like. I see that this is a six foot two inch guy with abs. He's 22 years old. I'm a 90 year old oligarch. I'll pick that body. And then you're trapped. Your consciousness is trapped in the machine, you know, and, and this oligarch just has taken over your body. So for the oligarch, he has immortality. This is what they want. They want to stay in the physical plane forever because they're scared of what's on the other side. So so they they, you know, they look forward to like, you know, this is this is push button possession. But here's the problem, man. We don't even like let's say they could transfer consciousness. Yes, that could happen. But that's we're saying if, you know, consciousness is much more complicated than just. A bunch of neurons fighting and firing in a certain pattern. There's a there's spirits to it. There's all these different things in this reality that we're not aware of. Well, most people aren't. That's the problem. It's because these people are thinking that they're going to go to this great new universe, this great new star where they can be whoever they want to be or whatever they want to be. But they're not. The German philosopher Heidegger, uh, he was very concerned in the 1950s about seeing technology alienating people from their real environment. And I did a, a video about, you know, his idea of ontology, you know, like the, the collection of concepts that every culture has, you know. Certain cultures have a concept of time. Other cultures don't. Certain cultures have a concept of numbers. Uh, the, the Piranha tribe in Brazil or the Munduruku do not. You know, so we all have our, our own cultural ontologies, whether we believe in science and progress or whether we believe in God or whatever. These are different ontologies. And I was talking about in that particular video uh, about like I quoted Heidegger and Heidegger said that you're more conscious of the painting against the wall than you are of the glasses that are sitting on the edge of your nose. And you need those glasses to see the painting. But you're, but psychologically, the glasses are further from you mentally than the picture on the wall. You don't even notice them. You don't even see them. And that's I, I use that metaphor for, you know, an ontology that you're not even aware of and that shapes your your cultural uh, perceptions. And so he was talking about that that phenomenon. Um, for instance, you know, a man who's absorbed in a television show, you know, and, and and the TV personality that he's looking at is more psychologically immediate to him than his wife who's two feet away, you know. And so you're seeing technology alienate the person from their real environment. And uh, so I, I was just curious, um, Dennis, do you have any anything to uh, to add to the concept of technology and how it's a uh, kind of, you know, acting as a, uh, you know, a, a disjoint, a disjoining uh, element? That's the crux of the matter, Daniel. In fact, I would say it's not even a matter of alienating from the real environment any longer. I think we are on the cusp of where the technology obliterates the real environment, uh, replaces it entirely to the point that we have an epistemological crisis. Epistemology, the the philosophy with trying to understand what we know. Uh, We will no longer know what we know because what we know can no longer be real. The real will be obliterated. And this technology is literally in the lab today. We're, we're, we're going to see this in the real world, maybe in as soon as three years. And I say that because I'm talking about something very specific that is being funded by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency right now. It's being funded today. It's being funded under a program called the Next Generation Non-Surgical Neurotechnology Program, M3 for short. And one of the researchers that is being funded through this program is at the University of Miami. His name is Sakrat Kizroev. And what he is researching for DARPA under DARPA funding is a nanotechnology using what he calls magnetoelectric nanoparticles. Uh, These are particles that uh, are nanotechnology that can cross the blood-brain barrier. And as opposed to what we're doing, you know, what maybe people think of now as brain-machine interfaces right now, where you may have some wires attached to the brain, you know, these are taking place in our macro scale universe. Um, This is going to be taking place on the level of each individual neuron. Um, And again, I'm not, I'm not speculating about future technology. I'm talking about technology that you can read about today in the literature, in the laboratory, taking place, being researched by Professor Sakrat Kizroev, who is just one person researching this. There are many other laboratories involved in doing this. And when this is successful, um, what you'll be able to do, to do, or what they will be able to do, is inject you with uh, 80 billion microelectrodes that will integrate with 80 billion neurons in the human brain. I'm kind of quasi quoting from Kizroev right here. And the way he says to do this is through nanotechnology. 
this is being funded today. It's, an, it's not even in its initial stage. This is a stage two investigation. So it's already gone through an initial stage. And the stage two is scheduled to be uh, finished by 2024. So we're very near term. And what this would allow you to do, I already talked about Facebook uh, metaverse a little bit. You know, I think with regard to Facebook metaverse, you're really looking at further continuation of what Facebook invested in a few years ago, which was the Oculus technology, uh, which I understand you're going to have to use a headset and you're going to be visually stimulated and you're going to be interacting with that visually. Uh, what the DARPA people want to achieve is read-write access with 50 millisecond latency to the human brain directly. So you, you bypass the entire physical uh, nature of the visual, uh, you know, gathering data visually or auditorily that you're going directly into the brain with read-write access. And that's where I think you start to see if this technology comes to fruition is the obliteration of the real, because what then is real? If you have re if, if some oligarchic entity now has read-write access to your brain, you no longer as an, as an individual can make any kind of judgment as to what is real versus what is not real versus what is fed to you versus what you may have experienced. The real is completely obliterated. And that's, that's very near-term technology that's coming very quickly. Yeah, that's a uh, Cartesian. I mean, Descartes, you know, how do we know what we know? And uh, the senses are, you know, kind of uh, Descartes said that um, we have to use logic. We have to use reason, the mind. I think therefore I am because our senses lie to us. Our eyes can hallucinate. Our ears can have, you know, hallucinations, auditory hallucinations. Our senses can deceive us. So he said any information that's uh, you know, adopted through the senses is mere opinion. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so this this is, you know, opinion on steroids. So, uh, Jenny, when he mentioned magnetoferritin and uh, ferritins and those, that technology, um, do you want to uh, weigh in on, on that? I sure do. <laughs> I think it's already underway. I think there are preparatory steps being made right now because millions of people are being injected with magnetoproteins mixed with ferritin nanoparticles and graphene oxide. And... Uh, you know, in terms of knowing what's real and what isn't, how many people have you seen sitting around in a restaurant at a table and they're not interacting with each other, but their entire reality is absorbed in their interaction with their cell phone? Uh, what do they know? What do they even notice? I mean, a lot of times they don't even notice when the waiter comes to take the order of the food. They're completely entrained. And and the graphene oxide magnetoprotein aspect is something I'm, I'm I've done several shows on this but um, one of the things that is becoming very apparent is that uh, I, I really do think that experimentation somebody's jumping the gun Dennis I think uh, you know he for the DARPA thing there are two things that come to mind one is that I think there might be some rogue um, millionaire or billionaires pardon my trillionaires who are maybe jumping the gun on any acknowledged or formal DARPA projects. And uh, I really think that what happened in the Houston Astro world, uh, I'm, I'm about, I've been doing a lot of investigating on that. And I think that was a test. And I really do think that that was an interferometry test with the graphene oxide that were, that was installed in uh, along the spinal cord and in the myocardium and in the brains of those concert goers. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I mean, go ahead. Again, I was going to ask you about that, Jim, because it was, um, you had to be fully vexed to even get into that concert. Right. And then people said the entire time that there was a weird sound playing for like six hours before the concert started. Uh, actually, I've got, a, I've been looking at a lot of cell phone videos and yeah. I, I've studied ancient Greek modes for a good bit of my life. And um, number one, Travis Scott was singing. Uh, during the the, the uh, based on what I see in the many many cell phone videos of people uh, falling down and some twitching at that concert, um, I was noticing the music in the background as people were recording this, and the fundamental was a a low growling note that I and I have yet to prove this, but I know that that note was a low B. And, and so it was around 62 hertz. And, and this is the kind of uh, note that uh, the people, the gangster types who like to put the huge woofers in their cars, uh, love to have that growling, thumping um, 
tone, uh, I believe that that was probably uh, part of the formula that was used in the test. And right now I'm checking into possible interferometry with a 60 hertz 5G signal, which would deprive people of oxygen. Interesting. So yet to be found. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to to touch on this uh, thing, too, because we mentioned it in a previous podcast. We were talking about how, uh, just to pick up that, um, that thread again regarding, you know, people being alienated from their real environment and how we've been slowly but surely as technological, you know, advances have progressed, um, you know, we've been losing touch with reality. And so uh, I was I was thinking in terms of, uh, you know, rule by bot. Right. And so you have ghost cities uh, where they pretend that there's more population than there than there is. Like I, I was um, uh, watching a video of Cleveland, Ohio, and I spent part of my childhood in Cleveland and I was shocked at how empty it seemed. And a, a person was walking through the streets of Cleveland and it was like a ghost town. And I, w- I was just absolutely floored at, at the population loss, and, which makes sense. I mean, the entire industrial mis- Midwest is, is collapsing and, and everybody's moving to other areas. And uh, but nevertheless, Cleveland in the video, the guy. I claim that Cleveland had 3 million people. But then I looked up Cleveland's, you know, stated population now and it was saying something like 300,000. So the guy still thought there was 3 million people there. Yet the the real number is probably like 300,000, but here's the thing. They'll keep, you know, for for federal funds and all these all these things, they'll lie about the population of a city and they'll keep people on voter rolls. And so you you basically have fake voting, you know, electronic voting rule by bot. So you think, oh, well, this this politician was elected. No, because, you know, a third of the people who, quote unquote, voted for him aren't real. You know, and so we're we're finding the, the lines blurring between, you know, the real environment and a Sims environment, like a fake you know, environment. Like the Democrats for that. Yeah. Well, well, but but no, I mean, to, to, to not to not to bash the Democrats. I mean, that was that was that was George Bush right after the, the 2000 election. George Bush was like, oh, well, these hanging chads. Well, we better fix the system with electro superior progress, electronic voting. And what did it do? What did that technology do? It alienated the technology once again, alienated us from the real environment. It alienated us from actual legitimate votes. So we don't even know what's real now. Like it, like it Dennis said about epistemology us, it just separated us. Well, that's no, the same thing. Separated us. We have no way of knowing what's real. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's one of the things too that uh, I wanted to to go into as well. I mean, this is like a matrix world. We're slowly gradating into this fake world. You know, where you don't know how many people are actually in a city. You don't know how many people are actually voting. You know, everything is Sims. Um, and and so, I mean, the 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 culmination of that would be like a world like the Matrix, where where everybody is like a zombie and they're being used as batteries and their consciousness is in this fake Sim world. And I was thinking about that, like the 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 Wachowski. Uh, brothers who, who made the, the film and then Larry becomes Lana and he becomes like a, a, a transhuman um and and then the other brother follows suit and now they're 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 two transsexuals and I, I thought of the irony of that because in the movie the whole point of it is to unplug and to get back in the real environment but the two directors did exactly the opposite they they became you know what I mean like like instead of instead of looking for their human dignity and their soul like I asked my son about that um you know a couple of years ago and we were talking about Bruce Jenner. And, um, you know, I said to my son, who has autism, by the way, I said to him, you know, like, well, wh- why do you, you know, wh- what do you think Bruce Jenner, you know, is is doing, you know? And then my son said something very profound. He said, he said, Bruce Jenner is looking for happiness, not in his soul, but in his body. You know, mm. so even he knew that like that, you know, that pitch of, hey, buy an over-the-counter identity, you know, get this, you know, you can buy, the, the, you know, the, the, your identity by, you know, a scalpel, a surgeon, a cosmetic surgeon, or, or now we're, we're heading Not toward a, a sim rail. Bruce Jenner's case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But let me, let me hit this. I'm going to hit this uh, second clip. And this is um, me talking about, I'm reading, it's, it's an excerpt from the, uh, the audiobook that I was narrating for uh, Jason Giorgiani. And it's the, about the origins of the Russian cosmist movement that led to transhumanism as we understand it today. The first modern thinkers to contemplate what John von Neumann described as the singularity were a group of profoundly spiritual visionaries in Russia. Beginning with Nikolai Fedorov, 1829-1903, the Russian cosmists, as they are called today, articulated a vision of the technologically augmented biological and spiritual evolution of terrestrially bound humans into a race of immortals who have colonized the entire cosmos, turning innumerable barren planets into thriving paradises. What is even more daring is the will of Fedorov and his disciples, rooted in a heretical interpretation of the Russian Orthodox belief in the resurrection. 
to demand that generations of the future use the advanced technology that they have invented in order to resurrect the dead so that they can become denizens of the future cosmic paradise. Even when Russian cosmism took a more scientific turn and thinkers such as Konstantin Tsiolkovsky, after the Soviet Union co-opted elements of the ideology to fuel its space program, we still see a transhumanism that is deeply spiritual, even if Promethean rather than Christian. In fact, Tsiolkovsky, the father of the Soviet space program, was positively Luciferian in his advocacy of a eugenically motivated extermination of terrestrial mankind at the hands of the coming superhuman cosmonauts. So he uses the term uh, Promethean and Luciferian interchangeably throughout the book. Uh, Prometheism is the name of the book. And he, he basically says, okay, so in Greece, Prometheus was the rebel god who, who you know, uh, went against Zeus and he gave humankind knowledge, you know, gave them the use of fire and writing and technology more broadly. And he said, you know, in terms of the Bible, this would be Lucifer, you know, giving, you know, the, the knowledge of good and evil, you know, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to Eve, uh, you know, setting human beings on their course, their current course. Um, so he uses the, the two terms interchangeably. Um, and, he, and he says basically, as you heard in that excerpt, uh, that, you know, it's a perversion of the orthodox, uh, you know, belief in the resurrection, you know, but through a Luciferian lens, you know, and it's, it's just shocking to me that the transhumanists will openly even use these, these terms, you know, so I wanted to, uh, to get your take, uh, Sid. I mean, what's that one thing I said a while back? The ghost in the machine will point to the false prophet. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I mean, I think it falls perfectly natural what they believe. I mean, they're trying to escape. Their, I mean, if you're going from a, like from a real Luciferian like Satan's point of view, like where they actually worship the devil and not humanity, but they'll, they'll just try to freaking um, trick everyone, you know. But from the other point of view. By them believing these things and bringing and trying to bring back the dead and try and find paradise, I mean their their version of paradise can't be made into a reality. There are limitations, you know. People need to realize that there is mind, body, and soul, and your whole thing with life is that you're trying to find a balance between the three so that you can actually go up a level. That's One interesting. Second. Yeah. Okay. Good. I was just going to say, Sid was uh, what he was describing was interesting. He was describing a triadic uh, view of reality, right? Like a triad. And I was talking to Dr. Joseph Farrell, whose house I visited a couple months ago, and he has a, a degree in early church history, patristics, and all that. And he was saying uh, how the Gnostics believed in a dual universe polarities you know up up versus down fat versus thin uh, the the battle of good versus evil and he said christianity however was not dualistic christianity was triadic in the father the son and the holy ghost you know and so you see like in in plato he talks about that you know that there are people motivated by the senses people motivated by honor people motivated by by truth that's triadic so it was interesting that that sid kind of hit that point so um dennis what what's your uh, your take on uh, the the Russian Cosmist movement uh, and the the gentleman that you mentioned earlier, who sounded like he had a Russian uh, surname. I was interested by that. That is interesting, and I don't really know his background. I don't know if he's uh, someone who immigrated to the United States or you know, I'm, I'm not really sure. I was more interested in this research that he was doing. But when it comes to a spiritual uh, level, there was a previous podcast where I talked about uh, the, the the Garden of Eden and uh, the rebellion in the garden. And the rebellion in the garden is often taken by you know, Christians uh, as a story that teaches us what had happened in the past and how we uh, fell into original sin. Uh, but I think we can also look at it as a, a prophetic warning of what we're doing today with transhumanism. We're facing the exact same thing. We're facing, if we go to the Luciferian model, we're facing the Luciferians uh, saying, here, eat of this tree of knowledge, even though we're told that we don't need to eat of that tree of knowledge. We already have salvation offered to us. We already live in the Garden of Eden. It doesn't get better. And by taking the action that is, we are being tempted to take, uh, if we take that action, if we allow that to happen, we will be throwing ourselves out of the Garden of Eden. We'll be closing off our own salvation. It is a false choice. Uh, so I think it's, you know, from the Christian point of view, it's not just uh, the Garden of Eden story as, uh, you know, uh, uh, spiritual history, but it's a prophetic warning of what's happening now uh, that we really better pay attention to. Because once we do pass through the transhumanist gateway, if this is allowed to take place, 
Um, I'm not sure there's any going back. I don't think there's any salvation. And uh, what we know of the world and what we know of humanity and all of things that have gone to, gone before us and the world that we live in, the reality that we inhabit, I used the term obliterated before. It, it really will be obliterated. So we're really talking about, um, you know, in the in the in the world of the say the Fermi paradox. Why aren't there any aliens out there? We're facing right in front of us the great filter that has been proposed as the reason why we don't see any alien species in the universe. Uh, we're looking straight into that great filter right now, in my opinion. No, that's that's a brilliant insight. Uh, Ginny, do you have anything to to add? Well, I've been feeling like there's some sort of alien intelligence guiding everything that's been happening lately and that the, the elites are marching to some sort of a beat that we can't hear that is being dictated by some alien intelligence. I don't know whether it's just full-fledged uh, um, lemming-like need for self-destruction or whether it's some external control that is uh, bringing us right to the brink of total disaster. But one thing I can tell you in regard to um, just uh, going harking back to what I was noticing about this concert is that that fundamental note was on B and that everything during the time that people were collapsing and dying in this concert Travis Scott was using his harmonizer and singing in Phrygian mode, which is the ancient Greek uh, warrior mode. And the visualization of that mode is a spiraling downward and inward. It's a death mode. Interesting. That That's fascinating. And that, that kind of goes hand in hand with some of our previous uh, podcasts where we were hitting that, that, that note, no pun intended, um, where we were talking about how, you know, like Isaac Newton, as an example, was accused of uh, pseudoscience, of magic when he was describing gravitational fields because they said it was influenced at a distance. And the same thing with Michael Faraday when he talked about electromagnetic fields in the 19th century. They said, oh, that's influenced at a distance. That's magic. That's what the alchemists talk about. And so when you asked Aleister Crowley, the occultist, you know, what what is magic? And he said, oh, influence at a distance. And so now what you're looking at is is waves and fields. They've basically systematized what would have been called magic in the past through through vibrational frequencies and and all these these manipulative uh, transcranial magnetic resonance and all these these things that they can do invisibly and inaudibly you know so I'm I'm sh- kind of shocked that you were, you were saying that you even noticed notes because they're probably doing most of the manipulation that they're attempting to do on subsonic frequencies you know things that you would just get a visceral kind of uneasiness in your stomach and not even be aware that you're in this field you're in this and and I wanted to to, to strike into this too because in the book Prometheism, the transhumanist Jason Giorgiani, he um, talks about the, the possible manipulation of, of what they call morphic fields. Uh, you know, Rupert Sheldrake, and I know that Dennis is probably rolling his eyes right now, but uh, Giorgiani found that fascinating. He was like the, the possibility that, 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 that you could manipulate you know, uh, one uh, fruit fly. Uh, and if you, you manipulate that fruit fly and you cause a genetic mutation in it, that suddenly you'll notice other fruit flies elsewhere will have acquired that that mutation because there appears to be, according to, you know, many different thinkers, not just Rupert Sheldrake, but this, that we're in a field, we're in a biological Wi-Fi field and that it communicates. And if you can manipulate that, you can guide evolution, you know, uh, so so the transhumanists think. they So they think that by altering certain people, it will have a ripple effect and it'll start to alter other people, hence their love of trans children, right? So they think, oh, we're going to manipulate these these children and then later on we're going to have these androgynous beings because that's another theme that they keep hitting at again and again and again. Giorgiani talks about the holy androgyne, you know, so according to alchemy, Human beings were androgynous, and then to keep us here in the physical plane, you know, the gods separated us into male and female to make it harder for us to be able to get out of the physical plane. And, you know, so now you'd have to find your yin and your yang and get them together, get the man and woman together, and through sex magic, you can get out of here. But but, but there's this longing, this this very strange, depraved longing for the holy androgyne, for, for transgenderism. I mean, male and female, like, melding. And that's how well, that's he— like he, the Baphomet. 
Yeah, like Baphomet, exactly. And, and, and that's how, how he talks about, like, his god. He talks about Prometheus being, you know, in, in certain certain accounts being transgender or or Mithras. He has a book called Iranian Leviathan, and he says that in certain accounts that, that it's his gender, Mithras's gender is not quite, you know, uh, delineated. And, uh, and and he's like, and he's like, yes, so, you know, that the holy androgyne, we need to get back to that. So he looks at trans children and he's like, yes, he's like, that's what we want. We want more trans. And I was like, okay, well, how do we, how do we breed? as a species if you know how do we if, if everybody oh, is a sterile yeah. you know kind of you know epicene you know like homunculus how do we how do we live and that's this that that's the answer we don't we die and that's what they want well it's not just that they're going from this from a very materialistic point of view i mean they're trying to force the change to happen when they have to look inwards in order to do the change but since they don't believe like some of them don't believe in a like higher power or the spiritual world or whatever whatever they don't believe in that so they're doing it in more of a materialistic point of view. They're trying to force the change in the physical body instead of doing it on the spiritual body. You know what I mean? No, that's brilliant. Right? Just like it goes I back mean, to the theme. They're doing magic. They're doing spirituality through the lens of science. So this is a perverted, distorted like version of religion. It's, it's religion for atheists. I'm going to play a, uh, a clip and it gets back to, uh, you know, kind of the singularity, which is another you know buzzword from the transhumanist movement. They all believe in the singularity, the point past which, you know, humanity kind of diverges and, you know, we go off into a, uh, di- you know, a different arc of, uh, of history and, and human evolution. Um, so this is a quote about Werner Vinge, who's one of the uh, kind of ideological pioneers uh, in the modern era. What this also means is that sometime within the next two decades, 90% or more of the human labor force will be unemployed. To use Henry Kissinger's terminology, they will suddenly become useless eaters. Anyone outside an elite engaged in creative work and driven by higher goals will be considered a purposeless consumer of robotically produced goods. Notice how at no point in this run-up to the singularity is the invention of strong artificial intelligence a necessary condition for entering into a transhuman state. In his seminal 1993 paper, The Technological Singularity, Werner Vinge outlines four possible paths to transhumanity. Only one of them is a scenario where the invention or evolution of strong AI marks the moment of singularity. The three other routes do not require it. In one of Vinge's pathways, increasingly sophisticated and ubiquitous computer networks effectively turn billions of human minds into a single neural network, with the computers becoming parasitic on human consciousness and the humans becoming enmeshed in the informational web. This hive mind would then make decisions and take courses of action that no human individual would, and that express capacities far beyond those of humanity. It may also express potentially inhuman inclinations. The second scenario, not involving strong AI, is one wherein many humans are fitted with cybernetic implants that incorporate computer processing power into the organic human brain and nervous system, thereby resulting in transhuman cyborgs. When this scenario is synthesized with the one preceding it, we are left with an outcome that Star Trek The Next Generation envisioned when the Borg were introduced as the ultimate nemesis of humans and all other humanoid life forms that valued individuality and or cultural distinctness. Finally, Vinci argued that genetic engineering alone could propel us into the singularity. Hereditarily inherited modifications of the human genome that yield superintelligence, vastly longer lifespans, superhuman strength and endurance, disease resistance, and other enhancements that could even involve the splicing of human genes with those of other animals with coveted capacities would definitively demarcate the dawn of transhuman history. Okay, I'm going to ask uh, Dennis to jump in on that first. Every single thing that Werner Vinge envisioned and he's not the only one, but all of those things are not, not hundreds of years away. They're not centuries away. They're not decades away. They are in our lived experience today, at least in the laboratory and very quickly coming to the real world, uh, affecting every individual on this planet right now. I mean, these things are, these things are on the cusp of happening. Uh, when, it talks, when he talked about the genetic side of things, uh, the advancements with CRISPR-Cas9, uh, I think the average person on the street cannot quite conceive of the impact in the, wor- in the realm of genetic science that that is having. And we're only at the cusp of that. That's just starting. That is a revolution just on its own in the biological sciences. Uh, I've already talked about some of the research that's being done with uh, the nanotechnologies that Werner Vinge, he envisioned as well. And he, again, wasn't the only one, but these things 
they're not speculative any longer. They were speculative to a degree when he was writing and talking about those things in the early 1990s and before, uh, but they're not speculative any longer. They are matters of ongoing, current, active research, and they are coming to a world near you any day now. Uh, so we now have to grapple with this, not in a theoretical way, but in a very real way. It affects, it is affecting your life today and in the very near future in a very distinct and sizable way. Yeah. And, and we don't have any government oversight, any meaningful breaks that are being applied by our government, which was, you know, to be fair, designed in the age of mercantilism. So these changes, these rapid, you know, quantum leaps in technology, I mean, there's very few, there's very little pushback by our senators or our congressmen, you know, because these these tech companies and, and other kind of darker organizations whose names we probably don't even know are just paying them off, you know, and they're, they're the beneficiaries of just, you know, kind of doing Doing nothing. Um, well, think about the people who are, you know, let's best case scenario. Think about the people who are in Congress. Um, you know, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world out there, uh, Joe Biden, um, even the best of them. Uh, and I, have, I certainly haven't named the best of them now, but consider whether or not those people actually have the background, the relevant scientific background to understand or even be re remotely knowledgeable about the advances that are taking place. Uh, we have bifurcated as a species between uh, the technologists and the scientists and the rest of us. And for the most part, the rest of us are not intellectually equipped uh, to even imagine the technologies that are being worked on uh, by the minority scientists, technologists, and the few oligarchic uh, class uh, participants that are overseeing and funding it. Um, the bifurcation like is real and it's happened. Yeah, go ahead, Jenny. You were about to mention uh, Elon Musk's his Neuralink program. Is that what you had in mind? Well, there there is a a precursor to that, and that was the uh, speech synthesis graphene oxide um, brain implant that was being tested to uh, enable visualization of text in a, in a person whose uh, speech had been paralyzed by a stroke. That was a much earlier than Elon Musk, but Elon Musk kind of took that idea and went further with it. Um, the graphene oxide mesh that was embedded into a person's skull um, with a direct channel into Broca's area, which is where the speech is generated. Chapter three, conclusion. In wrapping this up, I just wanted to give my own uh, take, my own conclusion on this. And it is uh, based on the idea of us getting out of here, based on, you know, the idea that we can, you know, uh, shuffle off the mortal coil and reunite with God and we, we ascend from here, you know, that reality can be ascendant. And so what I'm looking at is a movement of people who are terrified of death, people who don't want to go to the other side because perhaps they're afraid of what might await them there. And so they want to stay in the physical plane forever. And so they're making it harder to get out of the physical plane. So through the metaverse, through this fake Sims reality that they want us all to be plugged into, we're basically going to be like in a dream within a dream within a dream, like, you know, locked, you know, one layer deeper in the physical plane so that you can never escape so that you're like more embedded here. And that's what I suspect is actually going on in the spiritual warfare, whether they realize it or not. For them, this is the ultimate culmination of materialism where you can never escape. And that's what they want. Uh, Rudolf Steiner warned about that in 1917. Uh, so more than 100 years ago, he said that they would come up with a vaccine that would cut people off from spirituality and that it was designed to keep you locked here in the physical plane. And he said that it, he, he described it as Aramonic, the age of Araman, as I said at the beginning in my opening statements, um, that this is very Aramonic, or as they would say, Luciferian, uh, you know, materialism, coarse materialism, crude materialism locking us here. So with that, I'm going to ask Sid, what are your final uh, concluding remarks, Sid? I would say it's my advice. People would be just get out of the cities and disconnect actually start talking to your family start living life again just as dennis was referencing that project it's coming so i'd recommend to just start leaving cities or this or going into the woods now yeah that's that's a good point i just uh did my first uh 
a hunting trip this this last weekend uh, because oh, I was really? yeah because I'm, I'm trying to learn guns. I'm trying to, uh, you know, learn how, how would I feed my family in a, in a social collapse. So that, that might, you know, kind of tell you my, my mindset. Um, but also, more importantly, I wanted to get centered in the woods. It wasn't so much that I was going to catch anything. And I even said that at the outset. I said, I just want to reconnect with nature. I want to kind of, you know, ground myself. And um, so I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think that that's a very, that's a very wise counsel, Sid. Um, so Dennis, what are your concluding remarks? Well, first, let me congratulate you on doing some hunting and trying to get yourself grounded in the woods. Um, and uh, I'd go along with uh, what Sid was saying, too. I'm I'm from the woods, <laughs> and I look forward every weekend to returning to the woods and uh, doing woodsy things. And that's what's natural to me. And I think uh, this is something else I've mentioned before on a previous podcast, and that is in the urbanized modern world, uh, we have disconnected uh, human nature from uh, real nature. And so, you know, I'll throw the, throw my hat in the ring with you, Daniel, and with Sid and say, yes, absolutely. I recommend that everyone, uh, get in touch with the real right now and familiarize yourself with it and come to an accommodation with it and learn to live with it. Uh, because we face, uh, again, I'll say it again, the obliteration of the real is coming at us very quickly. So get in touch with the real as it is, because you may not have very many chances to do so in the future. No, that's that's very yeah, profound. Yeah. So just as they're they're talking about fake news and fake this and fake that, I mean, it, like you said, epistemologically, how do we know what we know anymore? And the answer is it's getting very, very hard to tell. And it's not just coming from the left. I mean, you, you have the people on the right uh, who were you know taken in by many, many probably AI written narratives, you know, um, yeah. that were manipulating them, you know, the, the whole, you know, kind of Q phenomenon and trust the plan and Hillary Clinton ripping the faces off of children. But you can't look. Sure, it's in the dark web. But if you go into the dark web and you look in the dark web, you'll be arrested for, for going to the dark, you know. So, so you believe the narrative, but without any proof, you know. So, so they were using very sophisticated, you know, algorithms. So, so these, these little yeah. fake reality bubbles were, were opening up on the left and the right and people were being manipulated. Uh, that's what, uh, to, to, to get back to uh, Walter Lippmann in 1926 in his book, Public Opinion, he said that for the first time in history, we have a new form of government other than the classical forms that uh, Aristotle laid out, you know, monarchy, aristocracy, and uh, and republic. Um he said now through propaganda, you know, we have the ability to manipulate people in a way that we couldn't have before. We have unanimity of thought. Mass media technology has created unanimity of thought that never existed before. You know, m people are getting opinions not from themselves or their own inner reflections, but they're getting them from newspapers or, or TV, you know, or radio. And, and, and so their opinions are not even their own. And, and uh, so this is this is a way a new a new uh, governance model, you know, technocracy. And we're we're, you know, through transhumanism, we're, we're lurching into that. And uh, so, Jenny, what would be your concluding remarks on this topic? Well, I mainly get into the woods by stacking firewood. That's <laughs> my main source of heat. But I wanted to mention that, uh, Sid and Dennis, if you want that message to get out, I think you're going to have to put it in a TikTok video. I'm not that ironic at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the day that I see TikTok uh, and, and I'm involved with it. I don't know. <laughs> I can't foresee myself doing that. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to end the broadcast here. I'm thanking our panel, uh, Dennis Barrett and Ginny uh, Silcox and the Mysterious Sid. And this is me, Daniel Natal, signing off and hope to see you next time on Under the Iceberg. <laughs> <laughs>